0: For the video on Sunday, I had viewers meditate on rating of tank players and the amount of responses was actually great. And reading through them, some of them surprised me, some of them were actually very reasonable and overall, I thought it was a very fun experience to sort of go through the different steps, even though they aren't as granular as you probably want to consider them. But as a general outline, I think it worked quite well. Sadly, I bundled it with a couple of questions, not too bad. As a whole, the experiment I consider a success. So let's talk a little bit about the reasons or my going into thoughts which I had with that video. So I asked specifically about off tanks because I find their performance to be very hard to judge. Stats for them have very little telling power, I feel. And even the Winston Slab stats are sort of problematic in judging them. It's also we're currently in a in a fun situation with off tanks where more and more the Zarya players in, but then again, the off-tank doesn't play that much Zarya. That doesn't have to be the case in the future, however. So a lot of you simply saw off-tank role as synonymous with Diva, and I can't blame you. The play rate is still north of 90% for these players. So that's definitely a valid assumption, but it's good to keep in mind that we're cutting away a couple of other performances from that off-tank player. In the situations where he's not playing diva, it's also very hard to judge them because they get very little camera time. For, because for the most part, watching divas with their constant looking back and forth, back and forth, and their camera to be very close to the target and the uh, micro missiles and everything like that is very unwatchable. But on the upside, diva judging divas is actually very. Easy from a third-person perspective, relatively to other roles. So here we we gain a little bit of certainty back. A lot of stuff sadly happens off-screen, in split seconds. A lot of the time, even experienced casters, for instance, don't realize when something has been eaten, that's very impactful. So in the moment, just absorbing the games, I I believe it's very hard to judge off-tank players by Diva players also have a largely a mystique about them, and at some point, I feel, especially on the analysis desk, I've seen a good chunk, probably ten or nine of the off tank players in the league, be called one of the best in the league, if not the best in the league. And the the development over this the season raises a couple of questions: if that. Statement with a perfect power counter could potentially be true, so there seems to be some room for interpretation for off tank performances. Now, I summarized or collected the amount of times uh, people voted for their respective player, and the majority of people actually said that Fury is a top three uh, tank in the Overwatch League. Of course, you can also hold the opinion about the other ones, so we had um, mostly Fury then Meiko, and then also Node, Poco, and Space. Personally, for this exercise, I will pick, uh, pick Meiko. And, yeah, let, let's go through this. Okay, so just so you have a general idea how I want to go about this video, I will start up with a couple of, with, you know, defining what we were talking about, then go through the general, uh, in the, into the points, Then going about the general points that you guys have raised. And then we'll talk about my personal judgment of the things. So in this case, I will go through these motions with NYXL's off-tank, Mecco, who I thought was instrumental to NYXL's success. So... Let's talk about certainties. That was one of the first questions I asked about how certain people were. And here we diverge massively. So, three people said 100% of the times. So that was 100% was the most picked rate um, of all of them. One said 90%, 85%, 70%, 60%. I personally will say for Mecco, I have a certainty of tops 35%. And that might very much surprise you, but I think when going through this video, you will find that there are so many caveats I have to make and so much uncertainty factors and so many great players to pick from that 35% is already actually quite impressive in that sense. Also, let's talk about 100% certainties for, for a, a second. 100% certainty is very unlikely to be true. 100% certainty... I I have to tell you to be aware of tail risks. Tail risks are situations that only happen in the late least of cases, so only on the fringes of the spectrums. But their impact could ex- be exponentially worse than everything else. Right. So one of those uncertainties could be that the flex tank role you you don't have all the the different aspects that. You, You see on stream So the problem is As we will go through this video I think we will find Origins of uncertainty But the If we consider 100% And not just as a hyperbolic um, Framing So if if you just say 100% When you mean very very certain I'll give you an out here If you didn't literally mean 100% If you meant 100% That includes that You basically think that the reality as you perceive it, and all your senses work 100 percently. there at least has to be a judgment of 0.0111 or whatever percentage that this is not the case. And also, think of it this way with 100%. 100% chance means that if I give you a dollar and we have a truth machine, I give you a dollar in exchange for your life if you... Tend to uh, turn out to be wrong. That means you die, and you take that an infinite amount of times. I give you you one dollar for every time that Fury is the best or a top three main tech in the world, and if that's not true, buy the absolute truth truth machine, which cannot be false. Of course, we don't have that, other than maybe slideshow. <laughs> um, but the if that is not the case. Your your keys to exist. I don't think many people would take that an infinite amount of times. Hundred percent, very unrealistic. If it's just a semantic thing where you express very high amounts of certainty, I think you would be better with saying ninety five percent, for instance. So hundred percent, I would personally, from my standpoint, outright dismiss. So we go into the questions, self discovery questions. The first question I asked was, name the things that the player does ve- very well. It could be something like having big diva bombs, being flexible, having great awareness, etc. And then also, uh, can you name the three instances where you observed your player doing this specific thing? So I bun- bunched up these two questions. Now, the problem that we run into is that the more specific you get, the... M- more prone it could be to bullshitting because you pick out these specific instances and then it doesn't really tell a lot about uh, the play in general but the less specific you get the more it allows you to just generalize really not substantiate it in any way so what i would realistically would have you do is point out 100 instances of course it was would Burst the amount of, uh, or the scope of the exercise. Uh, for the exercise, I actually think a lot of people dodged uh, saying three specific instances. And we will also have to say that we ha- will have to talk about the differences of signal and noise. So things that you might consider to be very important might actually turn out to be not that important at all, right? A recommendation I would make here is the book by Nate Silver called The Signal and the Noise, The Art and Science of Predictions. It basically goes into why predictions are so often wrong in all parts of life. And here we can say a couple of things that the community mentioned might actually be noisy. So, for instance, um, diva bombs might be noisy because... Maybe the diva bomb is very, uh, very fight deciding. And yes, if that happens every fight, this is um, of course very good. But it doesn't, and the payoff you take, how many approaches you need to take in order to get these fat bombs and the fight winning bombs, and not just the cleanup bombs, um, might actually, you know, be a negative expected value play. So that that is a problem that we need to consider. Maybe diva bombs are noise. Sadly. I looked it up on Winston's Lab. We don't have any good arguments in terms of stats. For instance, ult uh, usage and relation to win rate would be a great one. Sadly, doesn't work for um, Diva Bomb or Diva uh, Ultimates on Winston's Lab as of right now. As in general, so what you guys said, for instance, um, one guy said there was a clip from Reddit. Beware of those instances. There is a selection bias. People put on specific things for a reason. These people could be selecting clips because they like the personality of the player on all these things. The fact that others don't have these clips doesn't actually say a lot about them missing. It might just be a problem of people not going through them as much, right? Matthew said... For instance, in the comment section, three different occasions, and, crucially, from different timeframes. And I personally like these answers a lot. If you came back at me with three instances that were from Overwatch World Cup, then Stage 3, and then Stage 1, these are actually very good samples, I think, because they are far apart, and we will talk about this in the next question. Now, personally, I think... If I want to substantiate that, Meko is amazing at judging between frontline and backline attention, and that very well might be comps, though. So here I already drop a couple of percentages. He also has bombs, and he seems to be a very good system player. So here it might be that just the coaching was very good, and he was very susceptible to it. That has to be countered towards the what you deem to be a the best player. And yes, we ha- also will have to talk about the the, n- the definition of best player later on, what that all might entail. So, very good system player, and crucially, is very good at counter-playing. And I will substantiate that later on in the video. So... Then I asked further follow-up questions. Did you observe your player doing these things in a time frame you think is relevant? Then the next question was, how important do you think these things are in the grand scope of the role? And then, did these instances occur against top competition? All relevant parts that you will have to qualify how good your you know, memory, not only memory is, but the sourcing from your opinion. So... You will then have to create a framework of how you judge these plays. So you describe how you value certain parts, um, and the problem here is, for instance, with Bo- Poco uh, with Poco's bombs, and I will name him as an example here. It's Poco as a player is very easily to overrate, which is not to say that he can't be one of the top three players. I don't even want to state in this video that he isn't. He may- very well might be. But there are specific things about Poco's play, which he was known for. So the narrative was that he had very good bombs in stage one, got a lot of big kills with him, but not even th- all through stage one. It seemed like people then figured it out and he dropped them less consistently. So the narrative in itself started to matter less and less and less or other players picked them up. For instance, Siegel in uh, Stage 4 comes to mind where he then studied these standard throwing patterns again where it's very good to throw them into uh, the situations. And then another reason why Poker is uh, easy to overrate, let's say, is that he, of course, had seemingly good results because he made it to the final so these factors contribute to um you having to rate proko probably high and then you need to check for if these factors are parts of the reasoning that you might possibly overrate him for so that this is this is an issue right It might very well be that he wasn't one of the mainstay reasons why they got into the final, even though I don't think that's the case. I'm just making, you know, providing an argument here why you have to be very aware of these circumstances. Now, other gimmicky plays, for instance, were Fury turning away and um, the, the problem with it is, yes, that is something that he specifically did, even though I'm not even sure he was the only one doing it. His look just very expressive and also probably more frequently. But how important is that actually? Right. And once again, you only saw this on a replay viewer. So was that really against top competition? Well, it depends on how highly you judge the World Cup itself. But is that really as important? And I actually have a video from two years ago, which you can probably find in the description down. Below, which is I called the pull of the gimmick play. And there I framed it more towards your personal experience. So everyone knows, you go into, for instance, Ilios Well, and you think, oh yeah, I want to play Roadhog because you can throw stuff down the well very easily. Or I want to play Orisa there. Now, these certain aspects, these one gameplay aspects, might lead you to overvalue the role of that specific hero on the submap, even though in both of those cases, it turns out they're sort of usable there and have been used as such in Overwatch League. Now the problem is you might assign too many percentages of the actual you know performance that a player has. So let's say big bombs are only five percent of a diva's play in actual empirical fact. Once again going from the truth machine, how does that factor into your um into your decisions making of how good your play is when emotionally it feels like these plays are super important, right? It's it's like oh bombs and he gets kills and he decides fights. Well, how often does he do it? Can can you filter between that? Or is it something that takes a lot of emotional space in your decisions making? I'm not saying you're necessarily wrong, I was just saying this is something that should provide uncertainty. Now, another thing is that I talked about the time frames, and while a lot of people did it very well. I also had a tweet about this, which was, the sweet spot for relevant data is exactly between recency bias and nostalgia. And a lot of the time, not as much here, but a lot of the time it feels like people go way back into the Apex days where they say, oh, he was so good, Toby, so great. Or go way too recently say, oh, this guy was so good at Overwatch World Cup. The relevant data set, I found, is sort of between six months, month. so what a player did six months ago, and then, let's say, over the course of three weeks, the latest. If you just take the last performance, you're probably not ch- saying much about this guy's level of play. And in general, just judging by the o- Overwatch World Cup Finals, I'm excluding the qualifiers here, but just going by the finals. This might just be an overperformance from that one weekend. Consider this in your evaluation of players. So let's go to your comments. For instance, Liam Ross said, and uh, this was someone who rated Poco, and thinks that bombs are very important, which is in tune with his reasoning. And, you know, as as a language teacher, I would say, okay... You know, I'm giving you points for that, even though I don't necessarily agree with that. But at least if you believe bombs are very um, important, then this therefore follows that Poco should probably be rated higher because he was certainly one of the best diva bombers in um, in season one, right? So he also says he did it against every team. I don't particularly remember this being true, I think. It was figured out fairly quickly, and then later on was part of the playset of most great Divas. Um, personally, when I talk about Mako, I have to say the the games, the first three stage games, and then also the playoffs um, uh, match in Season 1, were a case study of how Mako plays uh, Diva. The way, for instance, one particular match comes to mind where he's playing uh, on Nepal and I believe Libero is on Junkrat. And yes, this was actually a game I, I analyzed on James Stream where uh Libero's on Junkrat and the you know, the gesture profit duel, as they are known for, try to go for Jonek, but either it's v- Meko just learning the routes of them very well, or also benefiting from very good communication, because, yes, NOXL did post a couple of scouts on the outside, such as Mano, but he seemed to have a very good understanding on when the timing for gesture and profit was, and his the M-timing, therefore, was impeccable almost every single time. And that's a big reason why we think Donag is as immortal as he is, right? He does have great positioning, but Meco's DM never seems to be displaced while also keeping Mano alive, which also might have to do with Mano for having very good timing. So these interdependencies add so much uncertainty for me as in the off-tank role. We have to deduct a couple of percentages here in terms of certainty of Meco being a top-level player. Okay, we go down to off uh, outside influence, and here I will summarize, not name all the specific questions, but here we'll summarize the the topic here is that the entire field of infu- uh, outside influence is giving you less certainty. That was the, the goal of it. Yes, some of it might give you more certainty, such as experts holding the same opinion you have. If you derive your opinion from expert opinion, you should be very wary of that. So one of the of course, things that comes to mind is argument from authority. Now, don't get me wrong, I'm not going to strike you here with, um, you know, fallacies as much because these points still work towards your certainty and should. These people have dedicated uh, a large chunk of their life in the last couple of years in getting these opinions, so these aren't outright wrong, just... How certain can you be of the, those being true? Especially, also keep in mind, as I said, the desk itself has proclaimed seemingly 80% of the Diva players in Overwatch League to be one of the best, if not the best. So, and I don't want to be unfair to them that these statements were, of course, named in different times um, throughout the season, which might might just make them actually true, because... Performances fluctuate. So um, so the, the problem is, yes, you can use them to strengthen your argument. What you probably shouldn't use as much is public opinion, because uh, especially that in terms of off tanks, I feel is very tainted by popularity. Uh, One of my favorite intellectuals in that regard uh, is Nassim Taleb, and he has a great article on this called Surgeons Shouldn't Look Like Surgeons, where basically the idea is of this bias is like, okay, so you go into a doctor's office, and you have a life-threatening situation that requires surgery, and this hospital, let's say, has three different doctors. And one looks like a professor, grayish hair, The usual professor attire talks to you and, yeah, just gives off the professor vibe. Then you have the doctor guy, very, you know, in his white clothing, very hygienic looking, very, you know, on fleek, everything, like, really figured out, just how you would imagine the usual doctor to be. And then in the other position, you have a guy that looks like a butcher, and he has, like, these thick under arms and just tattoos all over and maybe he has like a big scar in his face and you are now confronted with the task okay who can perform let's say this open heart surgery on me well if these these three people are being offered to you to do open heart surgery imagine how much harder it would have to be for the butcher to get into that position simply because the societal pressure against this guy getting this position can only be offset by real-world skill, and therefore it's more likely that this guy actually outperforms the other two guys because he didn't get there by appearance, by public, you know, public judging, but by pure skill, most likely, you know? So in terms of how the probabilities work out, be very wary of of public opinion because this can taint your idea. And, matter of fact, it taints GM's ideas of how good players are. At least when when the pickup uh, happens. So, in general, for instance, Ace says, and I will read his comment in full, I would consider Pavani's choice of a of Fury over Mecco to be a huge indicator of Fury's level, even though Pavani could have bias over Mecco. The other experts were from our desks and casters, but nothing comes to mind what they might have praised him about. Fair point. There is some a, uncertainty in there, and personally I like the fact there. Also keep in mind, okay, so analysts are hired to give you an idea and string you along a narrative. They a, Talent analysts are there to sound like they have a high amount of certainty. They try to reel you in. They're not giving you adjectives that gives you the, your you know real-world probability. They try to be very certain so other people feel comfortable in what they're saying. People will not give you percentages that are lower than fifty percent because that is not sexy for a broadcast at all. Now, if these people if you catch these people trying to predict, for instance, for money, let's say, of course they they are not allowed to, but let's say Sideshow was for instance uh, allowed to bet on the outcome of a match. His predictions also in the past seemed to be a lot more reserved and he was actually quite good at being uns or expressing uncertainties very often being very close, he was one of the better ones in predicting, you know, percentages of win rate. Um I think he might have won the the prediction contest we had for contender season zero. And this doesn't come through in his actual on on des- um analysis as much, even though he's one of the better ones. Other ones, of course, that's their shtick, right? To express a high amount of ex- uncertainty in unpopular opinions, and that's where the entertainment comes from. This should be something you take into consideration when making your judgment call about flex tanks. Uh Then, for instance... Oh, yeah. Let's talk about the one thing that I also said is I would consider Pavani's choice of Yuri Ovameko to be a huge indicator of Fury's level. Keep in mind, they had gesture... Um, there's a synergy there. Pavani was also under a certain pressure to not make it the you know, South Korean NYXL. So I think that's 1A, one 1B one here. It is certainly an argument that gives you a couple of p- points towards the c- certainty. Wouldn't overvalue it, though. Beatdown Belvedere, I think his name is, said, uh, paid more attention, and tried to be more aware... Oh, sorry, that's my... That's actually my summary of what he's saying. I actually quite liked his comment because it paid more attention and tried to be more aware of his own biases, which is he went from a point where he didn't consider, and he was talking about Fury being his top three main tank player, where he didn't consider him that, and then the experts gave him an, a hint in order to look at um, Fury. And because Fury didn't t- tend to you know, pop up as much on the kill feed, he was flying under his radar, then paid special attention, so the experts helped him overcome certain uh, biases he had towards the main tranquil, which is kill pressure or whatever, right? So here we have a positive example of someone overcoming their biases because of experts. Now, if you come from that point of uncertainty once again, that's a good standing point, right? That's That shows an ability to think over uh, your shortcomings. So, I personally have experts who believe that Mako is great and they agree with the points I make about him. But I wouldn't give particularly too much percentage about this here. Now, one thing that's very interesting because a lot of you said Fury, I have experts, former or, now let's say, No, no, actually, yeah, yeah, now that I remember it. There are Overwatch League players on the off-tank role who don't think that Fury is anything special. They think that Fury is just someone that follows the D.Va player around, it's annoying to play against, but he's not really doing the job of a D.Va as much, and his team allows him to shine. Now, this is very interesting in in terms of... uh, how people evaluate Fury, because a lot of you, most of the comments that were for Fury were 100% Fury. Now, I personally have very reputable experts. Uh, It was one player, current player, and then one other expert, either coach or analyst, who's told me basically this same thing, and the the opinions actually shared commonalities, even though they don't... ever probably interact with each other. So this is very interesting to me and also caused a lot of uncertainty for myself in not only how good Fury is, but how I even evaluate off-tanks. I I honestly have not a great idea about this at this point, right? So we go down to ability, the last category, and I ask the question, how big is communication for the role of a flex tank in your opinion? And... Here, this question was intended to make you think about aspects that are intangibles and that everyone agrees on is very uh, a very important aspect in Overwatch. And then we also have to say, okay, what is your definition of best player? Are intangibles actually part of the discussion, as they probably should be? But how are you supposed to, without, you know, in-game recordings of their voice, or rather, you know, voice recordings of their respective um, voice channels. So, And, of course, not knowing the language. So here uh, we had a wide range of communications, very important, to less important and main tanks and supports to it. I personally think that it very much depends on the system uh, for off tanks. I think everyone needs to communicate in Overwatch at least to a degree, and I also think there are certain things that uh, the off tank player needs to communicate, such as, for instance, that flankers are coming, because the, the off tank player is usually, or rather, the diva player is usually the guy that looks 360 the most of all, all the roles, in, um, as well as probably the flex support. And then he needs to communicate his DM status and also set up, let's say, for instance, uh you have a Farah and uh, she wants to barrage. He needs to say when that is okay to do. There, you know, there's there's some room to say, okay, the Farah the player says, okay, D.Va, safe DM, about to barrage, or if the D- diva player is like, okay, full DM, barrage, right? This these are certain different approaches, and it's still hard to say how important it is. Personally, I think it's probably one of the roles where you'll need to talk less and your computational power should probably go towards um, game sense because I believe off-tank is one of... or especially diva play is one of the roles that needs the most awareness in the game. Now, slyly, I set up a trap for you here because I gave you pause in considering intangibles and what it means to be a best player. Now, on, on the second question, so you you follow along and you say, okay, so yes, I think communication is quite important. And then comes the second question. Do you think you've been supplied with the necessary information in order to judge his level of communication? And I across the board, I don't think anyone can. Not only are the uh, the most of the players on the top three list, or let's say half uh, by public vote, uh, Korean, and it's unlikely that you guys speak Korean, but we also... N- Basically, never get you know voice recordings. Then people can say, "Okay, well, I listen to their streams." Well, that's not really much telling power, right? How good their comps are in the actual game. Social structures play a lot of uh, into that. So, just someone calling a lot on stream doesn't necessarily mean he does that in teams. And also, even what other players say, you probably shouldn't take at face value, because I can tell you not only is there a cultural pressure to be nice towards certain people and also the leaks expect it so you don't thrash others, so the, the natural inclination is more towards positive play, talk, but yeah, there, there is an issue in just getting the data from that, right? So everyone seems to admit that and if, we, if you answered that communication is very important but you don't have the communication data, well, now you need to sort of exclude that from your... Um, from your analysis in order to come to that 100% or even the very high percentage parts of 90 and 85, in my opinion. So, one of you guys uh, said, bear, in this case, no, and I respect that if I did have access to the comms of every off-tank player, my opinion of where they would rank would potentially change, but as of right now, I can't really take it into account. Super fair comment, definitely agree. I personally also think that I'd don't have the tools at all. I don't speak the language of Meko. Haven't heard any rumors about this, which I would trust anyway. So, yeah, I th- there the certainty drops once again. So, do you think you've been supplied with the necessary tools to assess your players' overall level? So, for one, we will say we have limited stats. The stats we have are very hard to judge Divas by, I wonder if there are stats to judge Divas by. And the viewpoints we got from everything, despite the replay viewer, which has a lot of recency bias in it, is probably insufficient for me. Now, Surprisingly, a lot of you said, yes, I got the necessary tools, but a lot of them also say because of the replay viewer. I don't think a weekend tournament is actually enough to judge someone's um, performance and you should probably drop a couple of percentages here. I also think that it is very hard to come through bots and keep track of off tanks and just... Like the necessary amount of tools is one thing, the necessary amount of time is insane to actually give an accurate judgment, right? So, I'm dropping a couple of percentages for my uh, own evaluation. Do you think you've put in the necessary work to have an opinion about him or, or rather, them? Here, I I got my uh, pronouns a little bungled up, and then other flex flex tanks. So, much of off tank evaluation, to me, almost seems feeling-based. There is a general propensity towards saying, okay, this guy is very good, and which usually people can agree with. So I also think, my feeling is, that the off-tank role was one of the most talented in Overwatch League in regards to who was in and who was outside of Overwatch League. There were only ever, I think two or three other flex tanks that I would consider to be you know Overwatch League level that should have gotten in over others so I think the off tank role as as a general point was quite stacked um relatively to other roles now off tank role is also a role that is very dismorphed in what is exciting and what is actually you know good play good play is having clutch um, DM in situations where you, for instance, have to deny poke, have to deny um, certain engagements onto your Zenyatta or whatever, it is not necessarily always catching the graph. This has a low amount of frequency happening. It's also not about the D.Va bombs. Even the best diva bombers here have less than... Uh, Ten percent of the time, they use an ult in fights in Overwatch League. They actually got a kill. Now with goats, it's going up simply because of graph combos and how people play around Rein shields there. But yeah, it, it is it is still problematic. Now here comes one of the bigger caveats that we have to say, which with question five. So the question five was: You chose the top three player in the flex tank role. Is see better than Mako, Fury, Poco, or Space? Now, here I personally appear to have bungled up the questioning because it was attended as such that even if you picked one of the four people I just mentioned, you would still have to reason at least to be better than one of these players in order to be in the top three. I sadly didn't make that case very well. Um, it would have been very interesting to see how uh, you'd you, the audience uh, would have gone over this personally I will also say that Mako's results show that he is at least you know to be considered in the top three and his results are probably only overcome or bested by fury because he won the Old League and also won um of the season playoffs I'm not sure that the others match the heart facts which is win rate and What I will say, though, is that the idea of this exercise was actually coming from one of the eSports fallacies I did, which I called Schrodinger's Top 5, or if I want to pronounce it German, Schrodinger's Top 5, when a seemingly infinite amount of players are in a superposition of both in and outside of an individual's uh, Top 5 until the commenter is asked to reel his list so it can be observed. I think what should have happened is that I should have let the audience pick their top three, and then it gets very hard, actually, to reason why uh, why someone should be in and out. So, why is that hard for me? I personally think, other than Mako, Fury, Poco, and Space, definitely candidates for top three diva in the world are Zumba, Choyobin, even Void might have something to say with that, and... In the necessary time frame, we could say Note and kumet maybe, even though I'm less sure about them. And then, then we also have problems with ja- placing Jano and Dako because they have no touching points in terms of play, even though they were doing marvelous stuff in in Containers Korea. So here the direct comparison doesn't fly, and one has to question the the level of play they were doing it against, but... At the same time, they had an amazing level. So the, the, it's very hard for me to place any one of those. So if someone offered me personally to say, okay, you, have, you give me $100 and I give you a chance of 3 to 1 that Mako, through the truth machine, is top 3 in the world, well, I would just about take it... I think anything more even though I consider Mako probably to be the best diva in the world anything more would feel too certain straight up so here I encourage you to once again rethink your percentages think of where the deductions of points that I made and refer to might have jumped down a bunch I will also say that the guys that have expressed uncertainty the most were for instance someone mentioned note and said 60% chance well that's an out, that's an outfield pig with a already high percentage and if you said fury 60% well that that would have um probably been closer to what I consider true so here as a summary the exercise was to walk you through different biases you personally might have. A lot of people also correct, course-corrected their percentages lower, which I thought was successful as far as the exercise went. And then at the same time, the final percentages were personally for me still too high because there are so many deserving candidates, because Overwatch League is stacked in terms of uh, off-tank potential, and because the tools we have in order to assess them, the things they are required by their team to do is different, and the off-tank role is so dependent on your backline and how you you receive resources from them that it is, for my money, the hardest role in the game to uh, judge by and to rank players accurately. And with that, I hope we all learned something from that. And thank you for listening. See you next time.